Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Charting Queer Health, a podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, as always, I'm your host, Matt, and you know the drill. I identify as a cis, white, gay man. I'm a Chicago resident, but most importantly, I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with various experts across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise, amplify their stories and voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. Joining us today is Trisha Holloway-Riddle. Trisha, would you mind introducing uh, yourself, your role here at Howard Brown, and your pronouns? Yes, um, I'm the trans and gender non-binary community health manager here at Howard Brown. My pronouns are she and her, and my name is Trisha Holloway-Riddle. Perfect. So trans and gender non-binary community manager. Community health manager. Community health manager. Yes. Kind of a mouthful. So uh-huh. run us through, what does that entail? What's your day-to-day So what like? that entails, my day-to-day, is I oversee a few programs here at Howard Brown, which is one of them is surgical um, navigation, um, TNB surgical navigation. And then there's groups that run under us, which is Tea Time. We also have a program, um, which is After Hours, which is currently going to relaunch. So we're trying to figure out how we bring that back. But most of the programming um, in groups and things like that that come through Howard Brown for Pacific Trans um, Health Needs are the things that I oversee. Gotcha. Okay. So there's there's a lot of like different moving parts within our TGNC healthcare. So um, to, to jump back to what you're saying, so there's... Uh, tea time. What is tea time? Tea time is a support group ages um, 25 and up. We have opened it to the entire community for trans feminine, trans masculine, and also non-binary folks to be able to come to and just have a supportive space. It's not too often that we have space that we can just really just be vulnerable and talk about things. So this space is able for folk to be able to come to and relate to one another. It's yeah. a really good space. Yeah, I'm seeing that. I've interviewed in with uh, a few different people and different programs across the organization and that need for like community um, community groups and community feedback, uh, yeah. whether it's, uh, you know, any issue really to, to walk alongside other people that are in the same situation as you is important. But yeah. Um, so kind of zoom back out. The, the the goal of the episode today is to talk about TGNC healthcare. We haven't done any episode really broaching uh, the trans identity, what mm. it means as far as healthcare, um, kind of how all of that works, because uh, there's a lot of, I think, misconceptions and misinformation when it comes to, you know, why is uh, TGNC healthcare needed in the first place? What's different about it? What mm. are we helping people with? Yeah. All of that stuff. So we're going to kind of take it back to the beginning to people that aren't uh, aren't familiar at all with this kind of area of medicine and kind of lay things out for people. Yeah. Um, so to, to clarify, because we're going to be using the acronym a lot in this episode, TGNC stands for Trans and Gender Non-Conforming Individuals. Yeah, but the newer language is um, TNB, which is um, Trans and Gender Non-Binary. Gotcha. So Gender Non-Conforming is it's a word in which means non-conforming, so we're not trying to conform to something. So non-binary just felt safe. It's other um, terms out there like gender diverse, um, trans and gender diverse. So it's so many pieces of language is always forever changing, just like us as we continue to transition, things are changing. So um, just keeping up with the language, you know, trans and gender non-binary. Yeah, and that makes sense because non-conforming implies that like we're outside the norm yeah, or something. Right? And, and we want to like reframe that to mean, you know, it, it, it we're just non, gender non-binary, I guess. Yeah. So it, it reminds me of we were talking about... Um, ethical non-monogamy in a different episode Mm -hmm. and some people might construe that to mean like 
uh, non-monogamy in general could be considered non-ethical. So you have to specify that it's ethical. Yeah. So the, the, the terms and the vocabulary surrounding all of these issues are always morphing and, and changing. So I always try to make sure that we're on the latest page Most definitely. to, to keep, to keep our conversation, uh, where it needs to be. So trans and gender non-binary individuals, uh, we provide at Howard Brown specialized healthcare for them. Yes. Uh, what does that what does that look like and or why do these individuals need specialized health care? So I would say that individuals need specialized health care, um, especially trans people, because their identities intersect um, in so many different ways. Um, you can be a person of color. You can be someone um, who may have a different lifestyle than another person, the way you identify with your sexuality and things like that. So it's so many moving pieces that we don't even identify as our bodies the same way as others, you know, um, different, different things like that. So being mindful that this community is already underserved in so many different ways and how different um, parts of their life intersect with that and how um, they have to deal with life and go through life, it's important to make sure that this service is here. Um, because if you, if we work with trans and gender non-binary individuals in the same way that we do cis folk, we will not get those things that we need. Um, housing is a big issue. Um, healthcare is a big issue. Um, making sure that we find affirming providers, nurses, um, medical assistants and things that understand the experience. We have to be vigil of, um, using the right pronouns and things like that. So all of those moving pieces are so much different than how a cis person will walk through life because we have to be mindful that those things we have to touch on because our trans and gender non-binary individuals are walking through life and experiencing so many different things before they come through the doors of Howard Brown, whether that's discrimination against their identities, being mispronounced, um, being assaulted, murders, things like that, create those different elements that we have to be intentional with the work that we provide to trans and gender non-binary people. Yeah. You put that excellently. Thank you. Um, the It's that type of like holistic healthcare that, yes. that we are really good at offering here at Howard mm -hmm. Brown is like, every patient is a whole individual and there's a lot yeah. of other things that might go into somebody's um, identity that might affect their healthcare outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, what are, what are some like specific, um, you mentioned a few of them, but like, I, it just occurs to me that like the healthcare system, the way it's set up is very binary. And uh, you know, when you think of like intake forms or like the ways that like a, a normal healthcare setting is run, it's not, set up to account for, mm -hmm. like you said, all the different uh, identities and intersectionalities that um, trans and gender non-binary people have. Yeah. Um, what are some like specific uh, instances or like things that we're re really mindful of? You mentioned like getting people's pronouns correct. Are, yeah. there, are there other things that we try to keep in account when we're treating these individuals? Yeah, definitely. Um, Howard Brown and um, a few other um, trans-identified people who work at Howard Brown have come together to create this um, the TGNB um, standards of care. So it, it, it expresses how, um, what are your rights as a trans person um, receiving services at Howard Brown? How do you want to be treated? How can you advocate for yourself if you're being mistreated? Um, we've set tools in place like um, trans and non-binary surveys to be able to, to really speak to their service, how um, they're treated within the clinic with providers, with um, frontline staff, and even the people who case manage them. So we've placed those things in place to make sure that people feel affirmed at Howard Brown. Yeah, I, it, it, we're 
kind of writing the book on uh, TGNC healthcare. Of, like, yes, most this, definitely. Uh, and, that, and that's another thing I've appreciated. I've been with Howard Brown since uh, September, and it's a something I've appreciated is that we're we're setting standards in a lot of areas for how to go about this type of medicine. So so we kind of talked about how how we approach uh, these types of patients. Um, what what are we actually doing for them uh, on a healthcare basis? What is the most common um, you know, thing that we're treating people for or service mm-hmm. we're providing for them. Uh, what, what does that actually look like? What kind of healthcare are we giving? The big thing I think that um, Howard Brown is providing for the clients is a space of affirmation, you know, a place to come to that people really recognize the whole you. Um, from the way we, we enter things into EMR, which is our medical records, um, making sure preferred names are there, making sure pronouns are there, um, making sure patients feel safe when they come through the door. So that's a different type of approach to healthcare that you wouldn't get if you went to somewhere that was just providing normalized care, which for mm-hmm. cis folk um, in general. Um, some of the, the special programs that we have are surgical navigation, which which meets a big barrier for patients who don't really have access to those things to help them go through these processes easily. So having those barriers chopped down and somebody being able to say, this is what you need as far as letters for your surgery. Um, This is also what you need. So BHS plays a big part in that of creating these letters, making sure these letters are correctly written um, for our patients. Outside of that, just our providers being knowledgeable enough um, to talk to our patients about specific surgeries um, and make sure that their labs works and everything is um, completed properly. Um, surgical navigation presents um, just that, again, that affirmation that somebody is there to help you, that support, um, to walk through a process which can be very scary. Um, and doing it by yourself, sometimes we have outcomes that leave our, our patients um, mutilated, I want to say. Um, in, a, in a way that it affects their dysphoria, um, their body, um, to have that idea of what my body and, and what I want it to look like and feel like. Um, it has to be somebody there to make sure it's safely done for them. Um, so it, it, it creates a, um, a piece of accountability, um, even to surgeons working with our patients, um, providers, things like that, to make sure patients are safely moving through these transitions. Yeah. You said a lot, and I was trying to take some notes on things I wanted to run back and touch on. So um, one thing that I've been seeing some discourse around lately uh, online is the concept of gender-affirming surgery and what we think about when we hear that term uh, and what we might not necessarily think about um, Mm -hmm. in the way that, like, cis people get gender-affirming surgery pretty frequently if you think about, like, uh, there. I saw this, like, surgery that's gaining popularity of men... um, wanting to be taller uh, because they feel like that's uh, cis men wanting to be taller because they feel like that's what's expected of them. And so mm. someone's like, that could be considered gender affirming surgery because <laughs> you're, you're wanting to, or like, you know, jawline enhancements for men or even uh, hair loss treatment. And things yeah. like not the same, obviously, mm-hmm. because you're still able to represent your gender yeah. without those things. But there was kind of people bringing into that conversation, like, well, you're, you're still, you know, having these things done to feel like the best version of yourself Yeah. that, you know, why is that not taboo or, you know, that that's very easily palatable by society. But then you talk about, uh, you know, gender affirming surgery when it actually applies to, to trans and gender non-binary yeah. people. And suddenly it's, it's a big deal. What's your take on that? I think my take on it is, um, 
that sounds a bit insensitive, right? Um, because to be able to, to be born um, in the identity that you chose, that's liberating and not have to question it, not have others question it. Um, so th those things become wants. I want a stronger jawline. I want to be taller. Um, for trans and non-binary individuals, um, not being born as the identity they, um, they see themselves in, that becomes a need. I need to have this gender affirming um, vaginoplasty surgery, breast augmentation or phalloplasty. I need this to feel affirmed in my body because what it creates is a sense of dysphoria enough to make me either take my life or someone else take it because they don't see me as who I am. So there's a need for that um, in a different way of a cis person saying, hey, I want some cosmetic right. surgery. That's <laughs> Excellently put. I, yeah. I I had been seeing that discourse online and I didn't want to like join in or like take any side. Uh, yes. But I just thought it was interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm all for people rethinking things, but you put it excellently that like yeah. that's a want and it's it's a need for yeah. trans and gender. And hey, people. you know, if we look at it all as gender affirming, um, it does affirm your gender, right? Um, to have these specific things done. Um, but when we think about trans and gender binary individuals, and how it's life-changing, how it is life-saving, um, it's a different thing. Yeah, yeah, completely different ballparks. So the next thing I wanted to touch on uh, was the navigation portion of it. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty poorly uninformed, poorly informed about healthcare in general before uh, working at Howard Brown. Was this I had not worked in this industry previously, uh, and so. Um, it was confusing for me as a, a, a cis man to seek healthcare somewhere, let alone to try to um, wrap my mind around the process that TGNC people have to go through in order to, to um, you know, get gender affirming surgery or whatever, yeah. whatever they're seeking. Um, what does that look like? Is the insurance industry well set up for this? Is there, you know, grants or resources for people that might not have financial means or insurance to, to, you know, get the, yeah. the services they need. How does how does that all happen? Because it's it's kind of a, a mystery to me. Yeah. So through advocacy and um, work that others have done um, in legislative and in all of that, um, to be able to discuss um, how trans folk receive um, surgeries and Medicaid and insurance and you know county care and all of that. Um, things were changed in Illinois that all surgeries um, should be looked at as medically necessary. So. Um, insurance is pretty good with covering it. Um, it takes sometimes appeals and things like that to be able to make sure that the insurance understands that this is medical necessary for these individual patients. Sometimes letters from um, BHS support that as well. Um, to be able to write and talk to and speak to um, um, dysphoria and all of those things for our patients. So that process is um, streamlined in Chicago. It's other places outside of Chicago that really struggle with that. Mm -hmm. um, we find a lot of our patients coming from surrounding cities like St. Louis, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, and all of those different cities to be able to receive the same affirming healthcare that Chicago provides. Um, so insurance and stuff has changed. It's still um, improving. We're hoping to see more improvements. Um, but as we move through, Medicaid is supportive, um, Medicare, and also private insurance like HMO and PPOs are very supportive of making sure trans people receive the um, services that they need as far as when it comes down to gender-affirming surgery. That's that's good to hear because I was ready to hear that, you know, there is not a real great support for it in terms of, no, yeah. of health care, but that's encouraging uh, yeah. to, to know that this... So, so you said it usually just 
takes sometimes appeals from BHS's behavioral health services for those that aren't yeah. aware um, from you know a, a doctor to say like hey this is medically necessary yeah. for this individual and and past that it's pretty easy not yeah. easy obviously so it's, but- it's- I wouldn't say easy, but I, it definitely is. Um, Howard Brown provides a yeah. place for people to receive those affirming letters. Um, our BH team, um, BHS team is awesome. You know, we have individuals who are knowledgeable um, in the process of creating these letters. Templates are made, and um, we just input the information for the patient to be able to receive the service that they need. Um, I think that Howard Brown models that great. Others come to us to learn that model, um, to be able to provide the same services to their patients. Yeah. Uh, the one one aspect of this that I have dove into a little bit is the um, name change bill that was going through uh, the Illinois legis- legislature. That's always harder to say. Um, and Because I realized apparently changing uh, your legal name in Illinois previously has been incredibly difficult. Like mm-hmm. you have to post in the newspaper for yeah. like three weeks that you're changing your name you need like all sorts of uh, like resources and time and it's just like a logistical impossibility for a lot of people uh and uh, you know i know the answer but i want you to sp- spell it out for our listeners what you know, what impact is having you know a legal name reflect your gender identity have on uh tgnb people um not having a legal name change um it affects people um, at the worst, I will say. Um, being able to be affirmed in having your name um, and someone speak your name, there's a um, aff- it's affirmation in that. Um, just being able to be called the name that you chose. Um, I think that having your name change allows you to maneuver through society and in spaces in which um, normally would be difficult if your name was not changed. Say you're Say you are a trans woman and your name is not changed and you're at medical places that are not like Howard Brown. They're going to call you by that, um, by your your legal name and not your preferred name. So that makes that person feel less than unsupported um, and then also feel like they're not a part of um, that space, that community, that, that place in which is calling them either that name that they consider their dead name. Yeah. Do, do you think they could face discrimination when it comes to like, housing or like applications for other stuff if they're you know if a a private landlord is you know has some image in their head according to a dead name and then meets that individual and it's not the same like I I could see a situation where in all sorts of situations frankly whether it's you know trying to get into a bar and your ID looks different Mm -hmm. like you know Mm -hmm. there's just all sorts of I feel like logistical things when it comes to that that we don't think about that you know makes things difficult right yeah Yeah. and it it touches back on that like intersectionality that you talked about at the beginning that like every facet of somebody's identity can impact their health outcomes even something like a name a legal name change so like i said that's just one portion that i had made some tiktoks about yeah i think uh, to um you know with having your name um changed and then having your gender marker represent the identity in which you you have um transitioned to what have you um, allows you to navigate in a different way. Like you said, we we can't control anyone's biases against us as, as far as when it comes down to our gender identities. But just having those document changes allows people to be able to see you as you are, um, even in those moments of not being passable, 
um, and people to see it for face value. But having those names change and those gender markers change allow people to navigate just a little bit different. Because if you are misgendered or if you are called something different, you're able to say, mm-mm, that's not me. Right. It's right here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this might be a little off topic, but um, does the government right now, in terms of like driver's license or passports, allow anything other than a binary gender representation on... This it might not be something you're acquainted with, but I, I that just occurred to me that like, what it what if you are just non-binary and you mm-hmm. you don't identify strictly with male and or female, uh, your your ID as far as I'm aware, I think the the only option is like an X on an ID that it's like it's neither. Uh, um, that I'm not sure. Yeah, I I, but, I know it's a, a, a tangent, but that yeah. just struck me that like. But Chicago presented an opportunity for people to receive um, IDs in a different way, which is called City Key, um, in which on that ID you were able to put down they them, um, she her he him. Oh, wow. um, so that's a different thing, and um, you can apply for those with Chicago um, through City Key, um, I believe it's dot org. Um, so that allows you to have just a different identification outside of, but it wouldn't be, right, of course, a, a right, uh, yeah, yeah. Like a driver's license or anything. But I mean, I mean, that's encouraging that, you know, mm-hmm. cities realize that need and hopefully that will to spread to a federal basis. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on from, um, what you said earlier was the concept of like cis versus queer healthcare. Mm-hmm. And you said when, you know, we create these spaces for people to come in and just kind of feel, uh, accepted and uh, like like they belong and that they're affirmed uh, and we kind of uh, allow these patients to tell us what they need or what they yeah. would like versus uh, and we kind of leave that open for discussion versus I can see like in in a in a cis or a, or a straight healthcare environment where it's like you come in for something we fix we fix it you're done mm-hmm. it's a very like isolated there's no wraparound services yeah. there's no nothing um, is that assessment correct and that we kind of create these wraparound services and we give people space to identify what they need. And it's not like a, you know, treat you, get in, get out, be done sort of thing. Because yeah. I, I could see that being the case at, you know, a straight environment. Is that, is that a, a, an accurate take you think? Is that? Yeah. I think that we've lived in a world of being cisgender for so long. Um, and it's different to see these, um, these different services operating to be able to support these different communities, especially trans and non-binary community. Um, just imagine going into a clinic um, and you're the only one that identifies the way you do. Um, everybody else is cis. How not normal that feels. So how Brown Health is creating and normalizing care for trans and non-binary individuals in a way that is affirming that you wouldn't see at other healthcare um, clinics or um, places where you receive medical care. So it's important that um, we see that everybody needs to be represented, whether that's employees that identify as trans. Um, and so providing that service to people who are coming in that identify the same way, it's a difference when it comes down to going to a clinic that only operates and you see majority cis folk. Yeah. Uh, what do you What do you think? Is, because obviously, I mean, in, in my opinion, uh, Obviously, the way we do things is is superior, and everybody should be afforded that kind of um, culturally competent healthcare. Whether yeah. it's for TGNB individuals or whatever you know you're seeking treatment for, what's stopping traditional quote unquote traditional clinics from you know emulating this model? Is it you know a logistical thing? Is it just 
not enough, you know, there's not enough awareness that this is a need, yeah. uh, you know, because I, I always try to tailor the messages of this podcast to, you know, either healthcare professionals nationwide, or I, I always think of like, I moved from small town Michigan where like mm -hmm. this type of conversation never happened. Mm -hmm. So I always think like, is, is it awareness that we need to increase in order to bring this kind of care to everybody? Is it, you know, the healthcare system funding wise, where do we start to kind of spread the word on this? I think it just starts at normalizing that trans and gender non-binary individuals do exist. Um, to hear that there's trans men that exist and people be like, <gasps> you know, yeah. um, it's different. Novelty. I think that it's, again, just normalizing that people live authentically different lives, diverse lives, other than the normal cis folk that um, live and, and breathe. And again, it's something that's also has never been talked about. So it's kind of taboo. Um, you see it in shows like Jerry Springer and, and um, Maury um, and, and things like that of, um, is it a man or is it a woman? Um, but that's what culture has um, made being trans um, look like. So it's either a joke or it's made a mockery of um, or made fun of. But as, as we continue to evolve as people, we notice that people are living authentic lives as trans and gender binary. They're living next door to you. They have families. They are um, aunties, uncles, mothers, fathers, um, which make that more of the normalization that we have to be represented everywhere, not just at Howard Brown Health. Right. We have to be represented in medical. We have to be represented in employment. We have to be represented in legislative. Um, we we are here, right? So we we have to normalize this idea that we are we do exist, and it's not for show. It's not a drag show. It's not um, a showgirl or or a costume for Halloween. Right, an oddity or yeah, something. Yeah, it's not um, it's not entertainment to you. So as we move forward and um, you see more representation of trans and gender binary people um, in different spaces, we normalize that. And that's that's where we start. We have to realize that we have to make this community a part of the fabric of life. Period. You Period. said that so well. Uh, <laughs> I, I like to ask this question of everybody. Yeah. Um, what's the hardest part of your job? Or I could phrase that alternatively. What would make your job easier? Um, I think that what would make my job easier is if, um, everybody was knowledgeable of the trans experience. Um, the reason why we have to have specialty programming is because not everyone does their homework to be knowledgeable on the experience of trans and gender non-binary um, um, individuals, which makes that difficult. But if we took the time out of our day and said, I'm going to learn and I'm going to make myself more knowledgeable on the experience to be able to not feel uncomfortable, not feel like I have to maneuver the way I work with trans and non-binary individuals, then that's when things begin to change. Um, yeah. That's, that's well said. And it, I, I got this reaction from like certain people in my life that aren't acquainted with, you know, uh, queer healthcare and things about like talking about like pronouns and just like basic things like that. But they, they express like, wow, that's a lot. And it, like I so said, I don't even know where to begin. And I'm, I'm scared to engage in conversations for fear of, you know, saying the wrong thing. That's or... privilege. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I wanted to kind of touch on that because there's this like tension between like, obviously you've never had to engage in a conversation because you've never had to like, if, if you're cis, mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about pronouns because mm -hmm. it's just how society is structured for you. Um, 
But uh, on the flip side, it like you said, it is their duty to educate themselves and to use that privilege to speak up. Yeah. Um, w- to somebody who's completely alienated from the for this world, quote unquote, how do you recommend they take that first jump into being sensitive to people's pronouns, um, into you know the bare minimum, so to speak? Yeah. How do, how does how does that happen? Because I'm always like I said, I'm always trying to like picture people from my hometown that like don't ever this doesn't even you know cross their mind how how do how do we loop them into the conversation gotcha i think the first thing is to acknowledge that you are not aware of the experience um google is a really really great um system to be able to say i don't know something and i want to know it so googling um you know things like trans and gender non-binary experiences um, pronouns, you know, some people get so stumped when you say, what are your gender pronouns? They're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, so it's important to just Google. I think it's um, not respectful to find the first trans person that you see and be like, hey, tell me everything about you. So when you take the initiative to take it upon yourself to say, look, I don't know these things and I want to learn about them. And you go Google things or you find trainings and different things like that. Um, to go to, it lets others know that I am trying to be affirming, you know? So, yeah, that's, that's excellent advice. I've, I've had it even talking to people outside the queer community or outside Chicago where I'll use like they, them pronouns if Mm -hmm. I'm unsure of, you know, Oh, the delivery driver's coming. I wonder what they're bringing as opposed to like using gendered language. And they're like, why would you say that? And I was like, cause I don't know that person. Yeah, so. But just imagine how long we've been using gender, um, gender neutral language. Right. Um, I remember times where my mom would be like, they over there, you know, and, and speaking um, of me, but not doing it intentionally to be gender neutral, but we've been using gender neutral language for the longest. Even when you talk about, um, a group of people, they are over there. You're talking about gender neutral language because it could be men and women within that crowd. So the yeah. gender neutral language is nothing new. We've been using it, but unintentionally. But now when it's intentionally, it can make people uncomfortable. Yeah. Suddenly when you think about it, people are like, oh, that's not something I, I don't know how to do. It's like, but you, you but do. But you've been doing you, it for You do it all the time. <laughs> it's, it shouldn't be hard. Uh, so yeah, I just think that's interesting about how we, you know, rope everybody into the conversation yeah everybody we have there. to um as as people check our privilege of that assist people you can say i don't want to learn there's a privilege in that i mean even with um coming out of like prejudiceness and all of that we had to move in a way that we had to understand the other person so whether you were white or you were black the discrimination had to change because i had to realize you were just human so even though I am trans, I don't identify as that. I identify as a woman of trans experience. Um, I'm just a human, yeah. you know, but I do have a community that uplifts me, that um, brings me back, that centers me and makes me make me humble to understand that because I've walked through this life of experience, I can understand other people. Yeah, it, it, it kind of brings us all together in that way. Yeah. Um, we're nearing the end of our time and looking at my list, I think we've touched on a lot of important things that I wanted to get to. Um, is there anything, I always ask people for like parting words or words of wisdom or things to, we, we, we've said it a lot, so I don't want, I want to make you repeat yourself, but is there anything that you want to uh, send home with our listeners, so to speak, uh, on the topic of uh, TGNB Healthcare? Um, with TGNB Healthcare, 
um, I can just say lead with love, you know, lead with love and understanding and that sometimes it will get uncomfortable. But when you push through that uncomfortableness, you realize that we are all human at the end. Perfectly said. Trisha, thank you so much for joining us. We'll, uh, we'll have thank to have you, you back at some point. And that has been our episode about trans and gender non-conforming health care. If you're interested in anything we talked about today on the podcast, you can go to www.howardbrown.org for more information. Thanks for listening.